You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us. I'm sure uh, if a lot of you follow real estate uh, syndications and are in the community, you're familiar with uh, Hunter Thompson, uh, who is the founder of ASIN Capital and uh, also the host of the Cashflow Connections podcast. And he's got a bunch of real estate, um, real estate stuff going on and, and kind of built the community and we could talk about that. Uh, but today's topic, we're really going to focus on uh, capital raising. And he's got a pretty interesting story where he just completed a capital raise of, I think it was about five and a half million. We were talking a little bit before within 30 days. So we want to find out how he was able to do that um, and, and what you know got him to the point of where he is today and, and what he's looking to achieve moving forward. So thanks for coming on, Hunter. Hey, thanks again. I really appreciate the opportunity and looking forward to talking to your audience. Excellent. So... Can you tell us a little bit about ASIM and your platform and, and what you're all about for those of you who don't know? Yeah. So, you know, I started in this industry as a passive investor and was very compelled by being able to depend on other people's time, energy, expertise, and access to capital. Um, I did not want to play in the industry in a small capacity. I didn't find the single family space competitive, uh, at least not complicated enough for significant competitive advantage to be acquired. The simplicity of the investment vehicle is what is so attractive about single family houses. But the challenge is um, you don't actually get that many advantages between owning a hundred single family houses and owning five. And so it lends itself to uh, challenges with economies of scale or lack thereof. And um, you end up dealing with very small gross dollars. And the issue with that is that on a proportional basis, perhaps it can be compelling, but you can't build a business around that. And perhaps more importantly, when you invest in smaller uh, gross dollar assets, it doesn't attract extremely savvy, sophisticated individuals typically in the sense that there are many extremely savvy individuals in single family. But as I'm sure this is not a surprise to most people listening to this, there's a lot of incentives to try to skim $100 here, $200 here, because you don't stand to gain as much as you could in some of the other potential businesses out there in the world. Now, on the other side of that spectrum is commercial real estate, where very savvy, sophisticated operators um, from very credentialed backgrounds come to make tens of millions of dollars. And so I found myself drawn to that very quickly, but didn't want to be over allocated to one particular niche. So I say that because in order to have a market advantage in business, you must have specialization. This is like the whole holy grail of economy or economics in general. Um, the challenge though, is that that specialization is antithetic to prudent financial investing. Because if all you do is focus on southeastern Florida self-storage, you can be the best in the business at that. But if 100% of your net worth is tied up in southeast Florida self-storage, um, you're exposing yourself to risk there. So I'm kind of balancing these two things and thought, if I could develop relationships with high-quality operators in a variety of different niches, in a variety of different sectors my market advantage could be 
that due diligence process. I wouldn't be too broad because I wouldn't be the one implementing the business plan. It would be the Rolodex of contacts and the due diligence list that we created over the years. And then perhaps that would be compelling to leverage other investor capital with that due diligence process, those relationships, the software that we use, et cetera. And so that was really the thesis that created ASIM Capital. And we went from one investor, just me, to 10 investors, to 100, to hundreds, and have purchased about $100 million worth of commercial real estate. Excellent. So uh, for our audience, we had a few other um, participants over the past couple of weeks that talked about the fund to funds model. Um, is that similar to what you're trying to achieve at ASIM? Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you say that because that terminology is just now uh, starting to become more and more popularized. And uh, so much so that I'm doing a keynote at an upcoming conference that's specifically about that exact topic. And just three years ago, it wasn't really talked about. Um, right. That has been, basically my whole career has been some variation of the fund of funds model. And it sounds like you'd had some people discuss it previously, but I'll just give a quick summary. Rather than, in part, this is due to regulatory hurdles. If all you want to do in a deal is to raise capital, then you are limited by a couple different metrics. You cannot be compensated for raising money by a third party unless you're a registered representative. Now, I am a registered representative and I can be compensated like that, but that wasn't until recently. So, and that's part of it. The other part is that um, you must do more than just raise capital if you're going to be a member of the general partner. So there's a couple headwinds with that. One of them is that you actually have to be doing more things than just raising money. So you start to hit headwinds with how many potential partners can you actually have without kind of just saying you're doing something more than that and not really doing something basically. Um, so an alternative to being a registered representative or being a co-GP is to create a fund of funds where you pull investors together and then invest in someone else's deal. Now the compensation is being derived by that fund of funds at the fund of funds level. The fund of funds, there may be, let's say a 95-5 split at the fund of funds level. And the capital raiser in that case is administering that fund of funds and res receiving 5% of the cash flow or something in that range or 20% or what, depending on the deal. Now, some may hear that and say, why would anyone invest in a fund of funds when there's an opportunity to invest in the fund itself? But uh, there's many, many ways to make it even more advantageous than doing that. And as an example, what we've done is we've said, rather than invest $50,000, we're going to invest $7 million. So if we're going to bring $7 million to the table, we can go to the operator and say, your typical split is a 60-40 split above a preferred return. For our entity, our fund of funds, our special purpose vehicle, can we get 70-30? And they will generally grant us that. Then we can go back to the investors and say, look, we got a great deal. We're only going to take a, a 95-5 split at the investing entity level. You're getting a better deal because your net will be 65-35. Make sense? Yep. And then, so there's no real challenge with circumvention. Um, and you still get to rely on our due diligence process. Now, that's obviously what we always want to achieve. Um, sometimes it can be challenging for a variety of different reasons, but that's one way the fund of funds works. Excellent. And let's, let's talk about the, the challenging part because 
We spoke a little bit about it with our previous guests. And I think the challenge is you have so many moving pieces in the capital stack, right? So you have you know, your senior debt, um, you have your LP equity, you can have craft equity, um, you can have, you know, in, in this example, I'm assuming it would be LP equity, but it's almost a preferred position. Um, you know, it's, it, have you ever run across a situation where an operator just kind of just puts their hands up and is like, listen, everything's, it's getting too um, expensive uh, for me to take on, you know, this cost of capital because they have so many different hurdles? Um, or do you generally see it, you know, the sponsor being amicable and, and, and willing to work uh, with the fund of funds as well as, it, I guess it depends how big the deal is. Um, but, you know, there's so many different layers of the capital stack. And that's, that's just something that, um, you know, I've been aware of in the conversations I've been having with some other operators is saying it, it's difficult to have one preferential treatment towards one group, let's say 40% of the equity, and then another group, you know, and it's, it's just, it could be challenging. So I don't know if you could speak about that just a little bit, touch on that. Sure. I mean, generally speaking, the industry is evolving and maturing as we speak. We've seen an incredible increase in attention to the syndicated space over the last five years, but really starting in the Jobs Act 2012. So the industry is kind of scrambling to take advantage to take advantage of the fact that so many people are now aware of these very compelling niche real estate investments and not non-rich uh, real estate investments. We just did a, an ATM deal, which was the deal that we raised the $5.5 million for very quickly. And it's because people recognize niche cash flow focused deals are far more compelling than otherwise available opportunities in the general market because of the concept of strategic advantage. It's very hard for a small firm or even a family office type of entity to have a real advantage in the stock market, but you can have a tremendous advantage. Like I mentioned previously, in single family houses, if you have 100 houses, you don't really have much of an advantage. You have a real big problem on your hands. But if you have 10 self-storage facilities, now you have a huge advantage compared to someone who just has one. And so we can, similarly. So um, long story short, because this interest is taking place, all these potential investors are there and people are trying to structure deals in unique ways to, to facilitate that. And I think that we're obviously well positioned to, to help facilitate that as well. But I think over the next five years or so, uh, there's going to be a conglomeration of people that are kind of succeeding at a more high level and more people are aware of it. So the bigger firms will come in and, and play a role. Sure. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So let's so that'll move into our next topic of the 5.4 million um, for this ATM deal you just mentioned. And I, I kind of want to learn a little bit more about the process though. So did the operator, did you align with the operator previously to them finding this opportunity or develop some sort of relationship and they came to you when they had the deal? How did that conversation work? Yeah. So our firm, we do very few deals with very few partners. You will likely do four deals in 2021, had the anticipation of doing four deals in 2020 and ended up doing only this ATM deal, which is a non-real estate deal. So uh, the typical way that these relationships are sourced, it's not scalable. It's not replicatable. It is literally people that we have curated relationships with over the last decade and that I've invested with personally over the years. So I've been investing with this particular operator for about two years now had great results, but also conducted months and months of due diligence. 
Um, the likes of which, by the way, I think it's prudent to do, but it's usually not economically viable for most investors. So as an example, if you're investing $100,000, it's really going to eat into your returns if you fly across the country, go to multiple states, looking at the ATMs, varying the verifying the placement contracts, conducting hours and hours of due diligence, making changes to their legal documents, things that we do all the time, you know, probably a hundred hours or so of due diligence as well as on-site visits. So our relationships with our investors, they understand that to a large degree, they can rely on our expertise in this area. Um, And so when we put out a deal, they know that pre-existing relationship exists. They know that due diligence was complete and we've built up uh, quite a large following uh, due to content creation so that our deals become oversubscribed very, very quickly. Right. And let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So Hunter, I forgot to mention you, you're also the author of Raising Capital for, for Real Estate, correct? Um, so what, what are some of the, we don't have to get into the full book, but maybe top two items to you know, increase an operator's trajectory to raise capital quicker. Um, I know I've, I've read it personally and, uh, or actually listened to the audible, uh, Great. There. and, uh, you know, I've, I've used some of the strategies I got a lot to work on, but definitely, um, I've seen improvements as well. And like you mentioned, content creation is key. So w- what are some other strategies or, or how do you, how do you really hone down the content creation in a, in a quality way? And, and is that really the number one reason of how you're able to raise capital so quickly is what I'm getting at. Well, I say, right. That's, I mean, most people, when they talk about raising money, um, they focus on closing strategies. They focus on objection handling. They focus on anticipating what potential investors may say and what the best rebuttal to their response may be. And that time is, is basically useless on a proportional basis. Um, and that there's so much data to back that up, but just to give you a very a clear example, if you are presenting in a room of 10 people and you have a reasonable close ratio of 10% and you spend the rest of your life reading all the books by Grant Cardone or, or other people, by the way, that's actually an interesting segue, but um, all the closing strategy books ever, and you get your 10% close ratio up to a 20% close ratio, which would be incredible by the way. You're talking about going from one investors to two, and that's just not consequential. So the overwhelming effort should be focused on how to get out of that room and get into a room with 10,000 people you know, online. And if you're already in a room of 10,000 people, so to speak, you should be focusing on how to get into a room of 100,000. And so it, the closing strategies are so inconsequential at that level when you look through that lens that from a marketing perspective, we focus on attracting investors, attracting new investors, converting them to high buy-in clients through a lot of really valuable and useful and actionable content, and also just being very transparent about our business, nurturing them through uh, email campaigns and conferences and summits and just different ways to touch investors from different senses, webinars and things like that. So that by the time we do put out a deal, they're very, very primed and aware of who we are. And as an example, you know, we just recently did this deal where one of the investors invested more than $600,000 without requiring a phone call from me in a new asset class, 
in a unique product type that there's obviously some conversations to be had about ATMs and technology and iPhones and Venmo and all those things. But that $600,000 wire, $600, wire comes to the bank account with very little work at that point. It makes it look very easy because I spend a lot of my time doing things for free that have no bottom line impact so that we are in a position to do that. And I should say that this raise, you know, it wasn't our most successful raise to date. We raised about $5 million in 72 hours once. But as someone who understands the concept that if you're really good at real estate, but nobody knows about you, you probably are going to be broke, unfortunately. Um, if you are really good at getting people to know about you, you can probably not be broke no matter what you do. I mean, if you're now that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. And I'm definitely sympathetic to that. I mean, my background is not in marketing, but what I've realized is that marketing is the X factor for any business. And now it just so happens that real estate is an incredibly lucrative, scalable business. So the combination of the two is how I spend my time. It's about 70% focused on real estate, 30% focused on uh, attracting investors, nurturing them and, and closing investor capital. Now, the caveat to that though is that as a capital raiser and a placement agent, it lends itself to that kind of relationship where we uh, partner with strategic partners that have no marketing side of their business because they leverage ours and it makes a perfect relationship. So yeah, I should mention um, as a marketer, when we raise the money in a 30-day period, it clued me in. That's an important milestone in the real estate sector because when you have a escrow, you usually need to have the money confidently come in in 30 or 60 days. And so it provided this opportunity for a summit, a concept of a summit where we're going to have 24 expert speakers come and talk about their one strategy for how they can be in a position to raise $30 million in, uh, excuse me, $5 million in 30 days. And it's called the 5 million in 30 days summit. It's available at 5 million in 30 days.com. The two numbers five and 30 are numbers and it's a free summit and it's virtual. You can watch it from home and they're pre-recorded interviews, video interviews. And because of the level of specificity, we get to the fourth, fifth and sixth question of all these different strategies. And so the content is extremely actionable and I'm just, I'm real excited for people to listen to it. Awesome. When is that summit? So it's January 6th through the 8th. So coming up really soon. Okay. And um, yeah, so it's like, you know, Neil Bawa, Kathy Fetke, Whitney Soul, Reed Goosens, people talking about how to attract foreign investors, how to use databases to attract investors, how to use the podcast medium, just all about one particular topic. So it's not just like, generally speaking, why do you like real estate, right? Which are great conversations to have as well. But this is a very curated summit only for capital raisers. Excellent. No, I will definitely provide a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Great. For any, for any of those who are interested in that. And, and is that audience catered towards, um, and this is something that I struggle with too, as, as an operator, as a syndicator, um, you only have so much time in a day, right? So as an operator, you know, and to be honest for me, I came from the commercial real estate background. I worked for another sponsor for six years, but we were doing office buildings, $100 million deal plus each deal. So they had already almost a, you know, we needed equity. It was pretty relatively easy to, to get to because they were in business for 40 years, 50 years. So wasn't exposed to that as much. So if we needed $10 million from family office, it would be pretty easy. So um, as an operator moving forward, who almost like 
you know, I'm using me as an example, wanted to, I knew how to execute asset manage, I knew how to, you know, uh, create value in each property that we buy, but I wasn't so prepared for this marketing game, you know, using me as an example. So um, I guess, what do you say just kind of in general to the, the individuals? And I have a lot of sponsors who listen to my show as well, who, you know, kind of struggle with that time management. That, you know, for me, we're focused on property management. We're focused on capital raising. We're focused on asset management. We're, you know, focused on acquisition. Um, and, you know, how do you, how do you focus more? Because really what you're doing is a way to scale. I mean, raising five plus million dollars in three days is great. Um, and you can really scale and do bigger deals. So I guess, how do you speak to the operator that's like, they're so good at real estate, but the marketing, eh, they want nothing to do with it. Well, that's easy. I mean, that's there's another way to ask that question, but it's really challenging. That is easy. That is a partnership, right? Because if they don't want anything to do with it and they don't enjoy it, they shouldn't be doing it. Um, and the there's before you added that last part, which I, I think is like you're painting a picture of an, a typical situation. Yeah. Right? It's very typical that a lot of operators are like, what is going on? Like, can we just get a $10 million check in here? Well, I heard that enough and thought, yeah, we can give me a year and let me build this out and then we'll start working. We'll start it with the half million dollar checks and work our way up. And that's exactly what we did. Um, however, uh, there are people with different personality types, different skill sets. And I think that the concept of unique ability is a very powerful one. Uh, Dan Sullivan coined that term. Basically, uh, it's the term that you use to describe your single skill that you love doing, the type of things that bring ton of value to other people's lives, the types of things where if you spend your whole day doing it, you can work 16 hours and the time just flies by. That one thing, the higher the percentage of time that you do that one thing, the more scalable your business will be, the more successful you'll be, and the more fun you'll have. So um, you mentioned it is the case that being able to do this magic trick of making $5 million appear is really indicative of a, a scalable industry. But um, the caveat to that is not if you hate it. And, and, you know, I mean, if you don't like it, you're not going to do it again and again. You're not going to do all the things that I've done to put myself in that position. Um, and it's not going to be a good life. So for the operators out there that don't want to, you know, could never see themselves putting out a podcast, for example. That medium is just so powerful because the barriers to entry are so small and the connection between your investors and your listener base is so strong that it's a requirement, in my opinion, for every real estate firm going forward to have a podcast. The, right. the name of my company is Asym Capital, which is short for asymmetric, as in asymmetric returns. And there's just no more clear example of a good way to spend your time and money than to buy a $200 microphone and to have conversation with your best friends and record it and put it on the internet, which is how we started our podcast. So right. that's what I would suggest. And, and that's just one medium too. There's so many other. Correct. Right. But this is it's definitely powerful. But, and, but I hear it all the time, Hunter. It's, uh, you know, I want to, you know, I have $2 million to do a first deal from a group, you know, group of friends and family. And then they do that deal. And then, they try to find another deal and they're like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta come up with another couple million bucks. Uh, they're all tapped out. Uh, I'm not quite ready to go to the family office route because the deal's not big enough. How do I get there? So um, that, 
like you just said, it's, it's you got to get out there and, and market and, um, you know, almost create your own brand too, right? In, 100%. In sense. Yeah. Yes, but what you're talking about is just so common. I mean, this is literally, if you go to that website that I mentioned, 5 million in 30 days, the first question is, do you find yourself sticking to small deals because you know your friends and family will fund, but you're worried about that one rung away from friends and family? It's very, very common where let's say you can raise a quarter million dollars or a half a million dollars. And so you're confident that at least once a year, you can go out, find a $1.5 million property, or let's say a fourplex, which is more common, and you can raise that $200,000. But to make the leap where the experts play and in the non-institutional space, buying a $15 million property, I would consider that to be unquestionably the elite level of multifamily, for example. Well, the big differentiating factor between those who can asset manage, those who can uh, underwrite correctly, those who can place offers and have relationships, and those who can do all that thing but actually get it done at the highest level is the ability to make the $5 million show up that's required to buy a $15 million piece of property. So, you know, you're speaking my language. Awesome. Um, so they can, so for all my audience who's listening, who are interested in the summit, all they need to do is go to the website. You mentioned it's free. Yeah, that's right. There's a, it's free. And there's like a, the big catch is the interviews are only available for 24 hours. But if you get the VIP version, which is 97, you get all access, you get invited to a, a question and answer segment every single day and they're available for life. So that's the big upsell on the free summit. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I might sign up for it myself actually. Um, how can, how can more people find out about you Hunter as we wind down the show, um, learn more about you and your company, maybe want to invest with you. What's the best way to do so? Yeah. So first of all, um, for passive investors, I know that's a big piece of your audience. Um, ASM capital is the name of the company, ASYM capital, com, And uh, you're mentioning offline, by the way, which I think is good, a great idea for a lot of reasons that the audience is like more savvy, sophisticated than it's not your typical beginner audience. And there's many ways to do this, but um, that audience resonates with me. I learn something every interview I do on my podcast, you know, and that's why I do the show. So um, you'll probably like our show as well. If you, if you like this show and enjoyed the conversation. Um, and then for the active owners, the 5 million in 30 days.com summit is um, it's a good way to spend time. Like I said, I, I, Richard Wilson is someone that you may be familiar with. He's the owner of familyoffices.com and he's doing his conversation about uh, using investor databases to convert basically LinkedIn contacts to investors. And he has several billionaire clients and that's something I don't know anything about. You know, I haven't done that ever. And it's because our time is limited. So he's built his whole strategy on this and he discloses all the secrets. That's just one strategy that you can take and put yourself in a position to raise the money. So a lot of good stuff on there. That's excellent. And, and Hunter, for, for ASIM Capital, do you have, just for, just for my audience, is it accredited only? How does that work? Yeah, it is. And you know, it's just a decision we made based on our feedback from our attorney. Excellent. Um, great. Well, what we'll, I'll do is I'm going to post a link to the summit in the show notes as well as on our social media platform. Uh, this will be released. I guess I'll have to do it before the uh, 6th. So this will be released very soon. Um, and, you know, I would encourage anybody who's listening to the show right now to uh, subscribe to uh, Hunter's podcast as well, uh, Cashflow Connections podcast. Uh, you have a weekly show or is it 
daily? Yeah, it's weekly and we have weekly interviews. And there's also something that I do every Monday called Monday Minutes, which are like the bane of my existence because it's always challenging to come up with something solo every single week. But um, yeah, active operators will get more out of the Monday Minutes perhaps. And then passive investors will get a lot out of the interviews. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a great show. It's, it's Again, it's very similar to, to this in terms of the topics of conversation. So definitely uh, encourage you to subscribe. And, and if you like it, leave, leave them a review. Um, and if you don't mind as well on, on Discovering Multifamily, if you like this episode, you like what you saw, uh, please subscribe as well and, and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps uh, Hunter and I get our message out to a greater audience. And we really appreciate that. And uh, really thank Hunter, again, for coming on the show and for his time today. And again, for anybody who's listening, active or passive, definitely definitely sign up, uh, mostly active, but still, if you're curious, uh, definitely sign up for his, his conference coming up. I'm sure it'll be a great one. Yeah. Well, actually, let me make a comment about that really quickly. And I appreciate the, the uh, pitch for the summit. But um, if you are listening to the show, you're developing a skill which is in high demand. And I mentioned that there's just an incredible wave of interest in the world of passive investing. If you are aware of this podcast and others like it, you have knowledge which is about to be extremely popular and sought after. So through the fund of funds model, you can build a business just leveraging your Rolodex of information, your contacts, your due diligence process. And it can be an excellent side hustle, um, even if you have a full-time job. So just think about it. Excellent. Hunter Thompson with Asim Capital, guys. Thanks again. Thanks again.